God calls on the church, his son's bride, to practice heartfelt generosity and live reverently before him. This is what we will study in this episode of Through the Word. Hi, I'm Adam Burton. I'm the pastor at Central Baptist Church in Maysville, Kentucky. Every Thursday, I release a new Bible study that comes from the Gospel Project, where we go chronologically through the entire Bible to see how all of Scripture points to Jesus. Thank you so much for watching. We are live on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram, and our website at cbcmaysville.com. You can also subscribe to the Through the Word audio podcast in your favorite podcasting app. And would you please get the word out about Through the Word by liking and sharing this episode. It would mean so much to me. Also, I would love to hear from you. So please email me at adam at adamburton.net. If I can pray for you, call or text our prayer hotline. That number is 305-707-PRAY. That's 305-707-7729. I'll keep your request confidential and you can even text it in anonymously if you want because I believe in the power of prayer and I want to pray for you. Lastly, if you want to know more about this amazing church I pastor, go to our website at cbcmaysville.com where you can find tons of resources to help you to grow in your faith. Well, are you ready? Let's study the Bible. Every Saturday at noon, an elderly man sits down in a booth at his favorite diner. Without fail, a father and his son come in around the same time for their weekly daddy-son lunch. The elderly man always orders a large brownie with his meal. And every week, when the boy walks past his table, he offers to split the brownie with the boy. The boy, not surprisingly, always accepts his offer. But one Saturday morning, the boy came in with a bag of tiny chocolate candies. When the elderly gentleman noticed, he leaned over with a twinkle in his eye and said, want to split it? (laughs) The boy thought for a moment and he said, sorry, these chocolates are way too small to split in half. You know, how often do we resemble that little boy? God has shared abundantly with us, and yet we live as though we never have enough, at least not enough to share with anyone else. We forget so quickly that God has blessed us both materially and spiritually in more ways than we can count. We are not all blessed the same, but we all have at least one area of our lives that is shareable. Just to name a few, things like time, attention, space, money, talents, and skills. See, God lavishes gifts on us so that we might be a blessing to others. In this episode, we will examine part of the mission for which the Holy Spirit empowers us. First, we will discuss living generously with the gifts He has given us, knowing that nothing we own is actually ours. Second, we will look at living honestly before God and others, noticing in particular the the difference between living an exposed life of sacrificial generosity versus a hidden life of selfishness. Finally, we will consider living reverently, understanding that our salvation brings accountability from God and His church. Here's our first point. God's people are to live generously. Read with me Acts chapter 4, verses 32 through 35. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. 
and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. You know, this episode begins with an encouraging word. The church had continued its generous ways and had characterized them from the beginning. Not only were they generous with their belongings, money, food, clothing, etc., but they also sold their houses and land to give even more money to those in need. Empowered and bound together by the gift of the Holy Spirit, these believers clearly saw generosity as a natural outflow of their salvation. This is no surprise, of course. Sacrificial generosity is a fundamental component of the gospel. Just look at Jesus. You know, what are some ways that we see sacrificial generosity as fundamental to the gospel? Well, the Father gave the Son for our salvation. The Son gave his life for our forgiveness. The Father and the Son gave the Holy Spirit for our new birth, our assurance, and our sanctification. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness. The gospel must be shared with others. The Father gave his Son for the salvation of the world. This language shows us that, in part, the incarnation itself is a gift. Furthermore, the Son gave his life for our forgiveness from sin. From birth, we are spiritual beggars in dire need of grace. We can't earn our salvation. We can't conjure it up. We can't barter for it. In fact, we aren't even looking at it, being so enmeshed in our sin. Yet God made a way. He gave us the gift of his Son so that we might have the gift of grace and an eternal inheritance in him, secured and sealed by the gift of the Holy Spirit. It is the Father who gives every good and perfect gift. If we are going to to share in the divine nature of God by faith in Jesus and following his steps of our Savior, then there must be no distinction between claiming Christ and being sacrificially generous. This passage shows us that generosity goes hand in hand with our salvation, and this makes sense because our God is a generous God. And if God is a giving God, then we should be his giving children who recognize that nothing we own is really ours. It it all belongs to God, the creator, who has given it to us. We are all sinners. Even those of us who believe and confess that Jesus is Lord still struggle with sin and selfishness and greed. But do we understand the inconsistency in saying that we believe the gospel but aren't going to be sacrificially generous as stewards of the gifts God has given us? More importantly, are we willing are willing to repent of this sin and fight for humility and a generous spirit? Jesus, the, the God-man, willingly went to the cross to save us. This gift is unmatched by any worldly possession we may own. So let's join the early disciples by sharing the riches God has given us to ensure that no one is left in need. Check out this essential doctrine, stewardship. God's intention for humankind is that we serve him as faithful stewards of his creation. 
We are to invest the time, talents, and material possessions God has given us for his kingdom work, knowing that God is the true owner of all we have and that our treasure, true treasure, is found not on earth but in heaven. Motivated by God's generosity to us is most clear in the gospel. We are to give God the best of what we have regularly, sacrificially, humbly, and cheerfully, praying that God may be glorified in our stewardship of his provisions. Here's our second point. God's people are to live honestly. Read with me Acts chapter 4, verses 36 through chapter 5, verse 2. Thus, Joseph, who was also called the apostle by the apostles Barnabas, which means a son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. But a man named Ananias and with his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property, and with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. You know, at the end of Acts chapter 4, Barnabas sold a field of and gave the proceeds to the apostles. And the author then used the word but to indicate a juxtaposition. But Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of property. And in verse 2, we, we start to see the reason for the but deception. It's not that they decided to give a portion of the proceeds and keep some of the money for themselves. That wouldn't have been a sin necessarily. However, Luke's wording with his wife's knowledge sets the stage for their dishonesty. Not everyone was supposed to know. Check out this, this quote. If I'm dishonest or selfish in my use of a few dollars, I would be dishonest or selfish in my use of a million dollars. And God pays a great deal of attention to the little things. It seems likely that, that the couple told, uh, told the apostles that they'd given everything, but they conspired together to keep some for themselves. Perhaps they were lacking in generosity, but they certainly lied about the extent of their generosity, as we'll see here in verse 3. Throughout the books uh, of Acts, sacrificial generosity is on full display. This had been a hallmark of the early church. The death and resurrection of Jesus alongside the gift of the Holy Spirit was the impetus for their understanding of generosity. And yet, Ananias and Sapphira went against the grain and disrupted the gospel ecosystem of generosity with their deception. The juxtaposition between Christ's people, the generous community-oriented church, and, and Satan's people, the selfish, me-oriented Ananias and Sapphira, is obvious in the text. As God's people, we are to live honest lives, open for all to see. The early church held everything in common to help fulfill one another's needs. They ate together regularly. They worshiped together. Nothing was hidden. Ananias and Sapphira, though, they turned away from this gospel-centered way of life. As we consider the meaning of sacrificial generosity in, in the Christian life, Two lives in the Bible are instructive for us, the life of Christ and the life of Satan. See, Christ lived a generous life, honest and humble and completely exposed. As we discussed already, the Father's sending of the Son was a gift, the greatest a gift. And Jesus' life reflected this through his constant humility and service as he put the needs of others above his own. 
because he never sinned. His life is, was the portrait of honesty. As God in the flesh, it was his very nature indeed to be honest. And when Jesus was at his most exposed, nailed to the cross, naked or close to it, a seemingly worthless criminal, he didn't hide. He went to the cross willingly. The creator of the universe was stripped down to, to nothing so that he might give us all his riches. God has been abundantly generous and has withheld nothing from us, sending his own son to show, this, show us this. But Satan is the father of lies. He's been a deceiver since before our first parents encountered him in the garden. He lied to them, he, and he lies to us. He still uses the same tactics on us that he did back then, twisting God's word, minimizing God's image in us, and maximizing God's creation over the glory of its creator. Here's our last point. God's people are to live reverently. Read with me Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 11. But Peter said to Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to, to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for, for so much. And she said, yes, for, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed, her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. The book of Acts it flows smoothly to this point. God has provided victory after victory for the church, even though they're even through their persecution. But then he punishes two people in the church with death for being a little deceptive and greedy. Yes. They didn't revere God or respect the family of faith. They dishonored the Savior and lied to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been active throughout the book of Acts, particularly with respect to giving spiritual gifts and working miracles through the disciples. But God is generous to his church through the Holy Spirit, and he calls his people to be generous with his gifts. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14 tells us the, that the Father lavishes gifts on us, and he has an inheritance waiting for us through his Son, and has sent the Holy Spirit as the down payment and seal of this inheritance. This reality should help us to understand how serious Ananias and Sapphira's sin of lying to the Holy Spirit was. Check out this essential doctrine, the deity of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, possessing the fullness of deity like the Father and Son. His deity can be seen in the, in the fact that he is eternal, omnipresent, and the creator and giver of life, and directly identified with the triune God. God led Peter to shine a light on Ananias and Sapphira's deceit so the church could root out unrepentant sin in its midst. The result was a just punishment for their sin, but also a benefit for the church. They greatly feared the Lord. 
We are accountable to God, our creator and savior, and we ought to revere him just as the early church did in light of these events. As Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9 tells us, the heart is deceitful and sick. Even as believers who have been born again through faith in Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit, our hearts still deal with residual blindness to our sinful tendencies and will wander into danger without someone there to to hold us back. We lament the phrase, just follow your heart, and yet we follow our own hearts into the dangerous intersection of sin and death every time we don't seek accountability from God and others. According to Scripture, Accountability is crucial to Christian living because community is crucial to Christian living. Allowing yourself to be held accountable by multiple layers of people is not only wise, it's also God-honoring. It recognizes the great power and and majesty of, of God while also leaning on His grace for forgiveness and sanctification. It acknowledges the gift of fellowship and community, and and it fosters the Christ-like attitudes of self-forgetfulness and humility. Considering ourselves accountable only to God and family, as some might say, is dangerous. Sometimes those closest to us are the blindest to our sins. Therefore, we also should should be accountable to, to the leaders of the local church and to other local church members. We're also rightly held accountable by our employer and, to an extent, even an earthly government. We may not physically die instantaneously like, like the couple in this passage, but our spiritual life, both now and eternally, is in danger without fundamental reverence for God, encouraged through the family of faith. You know, what are some ways that we should express our reverence for God? Putting sin to death in our own lives caring about one another to address the sin we see in each other's lives, striving for purity in the faith and fellowship of the church, and joyfully and gratefully sharing the gospel of Jesus. You know, we were created for a life in the Spirit, specifically to exist in communion with God and His church, both now and for eternity. In the age to come, life in the Spirit will will look like people of every tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping God and exercising dominion as a part of God's completely new creation. Our false gods of deceit, greed, consumerism, and hyper-individualism will be destroyed. God alone is worthy of our worship, and He will only be worshiped in the end. At that time, we will see human beings live in consistently and thoroughly generous way. In the meantime, we may we receive his grace and live with sacrificial generosity toward others so they can hear about and believe in Jesus who sacrificed everything for us. Because God has lavished upon us the riches of salvation and new life in Christ, we live in unity, generous and honest as we reflect God, Christ's truth and love. Well, it's time for us to take what we have learned and apply it to our lives. So choose at least one of these options as a way to respond to the truth of God's word this week. One, how has this episode caused you to, uh, to reconsider your motives when it comes to generosity, especially with regard to the local church? Two, 
What role does a healthy fear of God have in motivating us to pursue holiness together as a church? And three, why is the purity and generosity of the church relevant to how we present the gospel to non-Christians? Check out this quote. The spirit of the fear of God shall fill him. He will not judge according to appearance, nor reprove according to report, but will render judgment to the lowly and have compassion on the humble of the earth. Would you pray with me? Spirit of God, you are always faithful to bring the Father's purposes in the Son to perfection, whether that be in salvation or judgment. Thank you for indwelling and empowering us to live with conviction, integrity, and love as we carry out Jesus' mission for the church. Help us to maintain unity with one another as we proclaim the glorious truth about Christ and practice radical generosity in his name. Amen. Thank you for watching this week's Bible study. Ananias and Sapphira's deceptive action was a sin against the Holy Spirit. The Spirit distinguishes between giving that is in, in, a, in, in that is from a heart of generosity and giving that is from a heart of greed and deceit. The Holy Spirit prompts us to share our resources and give generously to those in following the example of Jesus, who gave up heavenly riches to share his inheritance with all who trust in him. Let me close with this. Jesus came to live the perfect, sinless life that you could not live. And he died the sinner's death that you deserve, but he defeated both sin and death by rising from the grave. See, you can be saved from your sins by, by putting your faith and trust in Jesus. Are you ready to give your life to him? If so, connect with us. You can call or text our prayer hotline at 305-707-PRAY. That's 305-707-7729. Or you can go to our website, cbcmaysville.com, and click on that Connect tab at the top because we want to put some free resources in your hands to help you to know what it looks like to follow Jesus. If you enjoyed this episode, would you please share it so that others do can experience God's word? On next week's episode of Through the Word, it's titled Trusting in Christ in Life and Death. We will see that the Holy Spirit empowers and enables God's people to preach Jesus boldly, even in the face of death. Lord willing, I will see you next Thursday for Through the Word, God bless.